your nerve. We've learned how to contain this virus. We just have to do it. As you know, COVID-19 rapidly spreads. And it rapidly spreads as a result of our own behavior. But we also know that we can slow that spread by wearing a mask, by washing our hands, by keeping our distance, by not traveling, by canceling our plans, by empowering ourselves to defeat this enemy and to make sure that we save the lives of those that we love. It's that simple. We are the ones to avert the disaster. It's how we will protect our workers and our families, make sure that a nurse can show up for his next shift, make sure that somebody who's stocking the shelves so that we can eat doesn't get sick at the end of the day. Today, the numbers were stark again and record-setting in a bad way. 8,860 cases, a number I can hardly believe. Just a few weeks ago, it would have been unimaginable. And we're on the verge of 10,000 cases daily with the numbers that we're seeing this week. Getting this virus under control is mission critical. Mission critical for Los Angeles, and I know that we can do this. When our public health officials give us guidance, they're working on the same basic equation. California has more virus cases now than at any point in this pandemic, and we will soon have more cases than we have available hospital beds. We are perilously close to running out of intensive care unit or ICU beds. So let's get to what the state announced. Nothing has changed for LA yet, but what they did announce is that Los Angeles is part of a region that goes from as far north as uh, San Luis Obispo and Inyo counties all the way down to the Mexican border. And that when the ICU beds that are in Southern California are 85% filled, it will trigger new closures. Now, here in Los Angeles, most of those things are already closed by the county orders that we have. So we won't see a lot change. But if and when that day comes, and by the way, projections show it could come as early as this weekend, or early next week. When 85% of Southern California's ICU beds are filled, the state has now mandated that a few other things close, and let me run you through those so you can know what to anticipate, know what you're still allowed to do, and be ready for when it comes. First, personal care, whether nail salon, getting a haircut at the barber, or beauty salon, those will close, as will family entertainment centers and cultural destinations, from zoos to aquariums and museums to places like batting cages and mini golf. Those places will close, and those right now are currently open. But to be clear, they are open. The state has not mandated that they close yet. It's only when 85% of the ICU beds are filled. Second, hotels are now not for tourism. They're for essential stays only. And third, there is also a reduction in our essential businesses from 35% capacity to 20% capacity when we hit that threshold. That will mean that people will be paced into our supermarkets, our essential places like pharmacies when that day comes. So to summarize, what did the state do? It said when the Southern California region has 85% of its ICU beds filled, there will be some additional closures most of those closures already have occurred here in Los Angeles, but what will change is that you can no longer go to personal care, you can no longer go to family entertainment and cultural destinations, and 
those essential businesses that are allowed to have 35% will go to 20% capacity. Simple as that. We had more cases this last week than we had in the entire month of October. And each day we're seeing more people in the hospital and our ICU beds. For this reason, as I mentioned, we're likely to pass that threshold that the state has mandated um, in the next few days of 85% total. When they go into effect, the state's closures apply to everybody, by the way. Even though Los Santos County has already begun and started those closures before, it will now wash over all of the Southern California region. Those counties, Imperial, Inyo, Los Angeles, Mono, Orange, Riverside, San Bernardino, San Diego, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura will go together. And the state's planned closures and restrictions are very similar to what's already in place, so not a lot will change here. Campgrounds also will remain open, but overnight stays will not be permitted. No one wants to be in these positions. No one wants to see these things closed. Those decisions are painful for all of us, and I know so many of you write to me saying, why is the city doing this? While I support our public health professionals, and I have since the beginning of this crisis, remember, cities can't open up, whether it's Los Angeles, uh, Pomona, Santa Clarita, uh, or Long Beach. We can't open up more than what the county allows or the state allows. We are together on these things to make sure that there isn't a variation from one city to the next, nor do we have those authorities except in Pasadena and Long Beach, which have their own health departments. So to review, the simple truths are stay home whenever you can. Don't share your air. Don't gather with others outside your household in this critical period. And just be smart and stay apart. This is a painful season to go through those things. We all want to be together. It's the holidays. This is a time when we get to take a pause usually and be with our loved ones and our family members. But know that the act of love is to not be with them, is to not go outside of our household, to keep our friends from being part of this spread, and yes, some of them from losing their lives. To remind people, outdoor recreation is very much still open. And I encourage people, in this tough time, remember the beginning of this, take care of your mental health, your spiritual health, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in being able to go out for a walk, and I know that some people also wrote, we have never in the city, by the way, banned walking or bicycling. In fact, the opposite. I encourage you, get out there, keep your space, wear a mask, but go for a walk, go for a bike ride. Make sure you do those things that can help you get through this tough time. Don't just stay indoors. And make sure that if you do have uh, any mental health issues, that you reach out and you tell people about them so that we can all get through this together. And if you know someone who is suffering, check in on them. Call them, FaceTime them, make sure they're okay and not isolated so that this isolation does not compound the mental health issues that we have. As we're taking individual action, we're also taking steps to strengthen our public health systems. And so I wanna make a couple announcements tonight about that. Last month, we launched the COVID Response Innovations Study, which is a pilot program on rapid testing. It's bringing rapid testing directly to Angelenos to tap into our spirit of ingenuity and innovation and to give us as many tools as possible to hit the curve down quickly. In phase one of this study, you might remember, we started with our firefighters and essential workers who are on the front lines and most vulnerable. And through that work, we learned important lessons about the accuracy of the different tests that are out there and how we can use them to quickly identify where we're seeing spread or outbreaks. And tonight I can share that last week we launched phase two evaluating the use of these rapid tests in the city's San Fernando Valley super sites. 
This phase is specifically looking at people without symptoms, with a specific focus on children between the ages of 5 and 18. We hope this will inform our schools, inform our educators, and inform our young people to see how these tests can help us in the future make sure they can learn. It'll open the door to a range of possibilities, helping us stop transmissions earlier, making life safer for everyone from students to first responders. And if they prove effective with asymptomatic children, they could prove a critical resource for helping open and reopen schools safely. I want to thank our partners in this study, including USC, Curative, our testing partner, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the LA County Department of Public Health, and the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. As our understanding of this virus continues to grow, so does our approach to fighting it. And that's true in new approaches to testing, but it's also true in our strategy around contact tracing. And I want to make an announcement about that tonight. Starting this week, we are joining with the county in a new digital contact tracing program introduced by our healthcare partner, Healthvana. This new initiative sends patients their test results as soon as they're processed by our lab. And if you test positive, what Healthvana now will give you the option of doing is entering the names and the numbers of people you recently came into contact with so they can instantly and anonymously get a text message letting them know that, you, that they may have been exposed to COVID-19 and linking them with resources to immediately get a free test. In the coming weeks, we're going to make it possible for them to also get a free test by mail so they don't even have to leave their house in order to see what their status is. And remember, as always, when you get a call from a contact tracer in the county, please answer it. Please finish their questionnaire. This is the way that we will make sure that we can quickly control who has COVID-19 and where it's spread. As we've seen from the start of this, this pandemic doesn't just threaten lives, it threatens livelihoods. So as we stay focused on measures to protect lives and the public health, we keep seeking ways to help our workers, our businesses, our ranchers, families hit with devastating force by the economic blow of this crisis. And we didn't need another reminder of how bad things were, but today we got that notice when we got the latest jobs report showing slowing growth in employment, hundreds of thousands of people leaving the labor force altogether, and permanent layoffs on the rise. This affects people across our country, and the talks around a new federal stimulus have to get closed down. We need a package now. I can't say it more clearly to our leaders. Please don't go home for the holidays before you take care of the American people. I'm heartened to see those conversations going. I'm heartened to hear the optimism Speaker Pelosi mentioned as well. The way that we've heard from the current administration and the incoming administration, the importance of getting something done. And there has to be aid in there for our schools, for our renters, for our public transit system, and for our state and local governments on the front lines. There are glimmers of hope that something will finally get done in Congress, but we've never had the luxury here in LA of waiting for a cavalry to come. And that's why this week we announced the SERVE initiative, a new initiative that allows the delivery of one-time $800 stipends to thousands of restaurant workers who have faced the new closures of outdoor dining, and many of them have lost hours and jobs. I want to remind everybody about this again because the opening to apply for this starts on Monday at 9 o'clock. It'll be open all of the five work days of next week. So Monday through Friday, and it doesn't matter whether you're first or the last person on Friday, it doesn't affect how quickly you'll get a check or whether you'll be picked. It'll be done fairly and randomly. 
you can go to coronavirus.lacity.org slash serve. If you don't have access to the internet, you can also call 311 and we can walk you through it. But even as we deploy these tools to try to save lives, to protect livelihoods, to help families pay the most basic bills, the pandemic still remains on a very, very harmful path. We announced earlier what the infections were, 8,860 of them. Here in the city of Los Angeles, though, it was our highest number ever as well, 3,756. If we stay on this case trajectory, LA is projected to reach half a million cases by the year's end. It's one out of 20 people here. If things don't change by year's end, the lives lost will surpass 11,000 deaths. That means 3,000 additional deaths in a single month. To put that in perspective, it's a decade of homicides. It is more deaths than we ever could expect in excess of normal causes of death before this pandemic. This is the greatest threat to life in Los Angeles that we have ever faced. And the current levels of infection won't just mean COVID deaths, it means overwhelmed hospitals so that people who have other life-threatening health conditions might not get in or will be competing for those very same beds that COVID-19 patients need. People with strokes and heart attacks and other emergencies unable to get care. That's why the state is using that metric. I know it can sound confusing, everything isn't always consistent, but by looking at ICU beds, the state is saying, when we're out of those beds, we're gonna be in real trouble. And so the triggers come as those beds fill up. And remember how this virus spreads. The CDC defines exposure as contact within six feet of someone for 15 minutes or more. There's just too much of that happening in Los Angeles. In fact, the CDC said, if you're in a crowded household today, you should consider even wearing masks at home. This is just the CDC advice, but we know how to control this. Please do everything you can to control it. Our transmission rate remains at 1.14, well above one, meaning that everybody who's infected is infecting more than one more person, which is why cases continue to rise. We need to get that number down below one. And right now, 2,769 people are hospitalized because of COVID-19 a 4% increase since yesterday. In three weeks, our hospitalizations have tripled. In the last week alone, we saw a 42% increase. And as I mentioned before in the previous briefing, at this rate, we'll be out of beds in two to four weeks. We have 644 patients from COVID-19 in the ICU who are severely sick and who are hanging on right now. This is a major increase since last month, and each day we're seeing these numbers increase. And while our local numbers remain critically important, the state's orders aren't the number triggered just by beds in LA. We're now tied to a region where we're facing massive shortages in some of our neighboring counties where they have not only no beds available, but also no staff available as well. COVID cases among healthcare workers are up 71%. Remember when we used to ring the cowbells stop by the hospitals to thank the workers, yell out of our windows and applaud. Our healthcare workers need us. And I want them to know, and our lab technicians who are in basements turning out our tests, people who are coming in to clean our hospitals, to feed our patients, 
our doctors, our lab techs, everybody, that we see you. We see you. We know who you are, and we thank you. But let's also bring down COVID for them, so that if we or somebody we love lands in a hospital, they're there to help. The county reported today 60 new deaths. We mourn each and every one of those lives with a name and a story and a family and a community that they leave behind. And we sadly expect this number to continue to rise. But massive deaths are not a foregone conclusion. It's in our hands. One critical tool in slowing those deaths is knowing your COVID-19 status. As of this week, we have now tested more than 2.56 million tests at city sites, far north than far, far north of half of our city's population since the start of this pandemic. And our current positivity rate, remember when it was down to three and four, is now at 14.85% in those testing centers. I committed to you just over a month ago that we'd expand testing capacity, and we've done it, and this coming week we're gonna do it again. We're seeing our tests fill up every single day, and wait times at the same time are down, capacity is up, and we have the quickest turnaround times anywhere in the country, getting your test results back usually within 24 hours and by 36 hours. Today we can test nearly 40,000 people a day, including the new sites that we have at San Fernando Park, which is a walk-up site, LAX, and additional mobile units. Tomorrow, mobile teams will be in the following locations. Avalon Boulevard and 103rd, the North Hollywood Metro Station, Baskin Robbins on West Lawson Avenue, LA Christian Center in El Sereno, and Cesar Chavez and Soto in Boyle Heights. If you want to know where any of those mobile testing sites are, the static ones, any of the other places you can get tested, more than 100 places, Go to coronavirus.lacity.org slash testing or call us at 311. If you think you've been exposed, get a test immediately. And remember, quarantine until you've received a negative result. And remember that that test result only captures that day, the moment you took the test. If it comes back positive, remember that you have to isolate for 10 days from the time your symptoms first appeared and stay isolated for at least 24 hours after your last fever. The people that you come into contact need to quarantine and then get a test at the end of their quarantine. All of these protocols are available at publichealth.lacounty.gov. Amid the constant stream of news, all the numbers that come out at us, it can be too easy to forget what all this is for, why we care about those statistics, why we are making these painful sacrifices. All of it is to preserve human life. The threat of COVID-19 is real. It's never been more dangerous, and the consequences are devastating. Here in our city family, the people that provide the services for this city, the folks who are out there, whether they're librarians or firefighters, people that work doing the most basic services that help our city function, we're feeling that aching emptiness as we mourn one of our own beloved members. Ever Linares, a father, a partner, a peacemaker. Guided by his own early experiences in gangs and violence, Ever devoted his days to making our city a city of angels and a place of peace. 
It was his mission to show young people across the city the power of faith, of hope, and of love in the face of violence and poverty. Through his organization, the Resilience Agency, Herrera led a team of violence interrupters. And everybody who's doing that work out there right now in the face of what we see nationwide with new violence and homicides, thank you for having that courage to step between the conflict, to save the lives, to be angels. And Herrera was certainly one of them. He was somebody who mobilized people around him to build healthier communities. He connected youth with new opportunities to education and to jobs. For so many who were blessed to know him, he was so much more than a leader. He was a friend who saw the good, who saw the possibility in everyone. He never gave up on anybody he met. He was a partner and a guide on the walk to a better life. One of Eva's friends put it best. He didn't care where you came from. All he cared about was if you needed him, he was there for you. Lost, he'd show you the way. Scared, he'd give you the courage. Pain, he would help you to heal. That was the mission of his work, the meaning of his life. Andrea, Herrera's partner in life, love, and ministry, their seven children and grandchildren, our hearts are so heavy with you tonight. We mourn alongside you, we cry with you, and we will work every day to remember Herrera's incredible life, to honor his legacy, and to carry forward his life. As we traverse the difficult road ahead, let us call on the memory of Herrera Linares, his compassion and his faith, his belief that we were all made in God's image and that we all have a mission to fulfill here on this earth. So let's take care of each other, lift up one another, honor the sanctity of our charge, and let's protect the people and the communities that we love. LA, let's hunker down. Let's cancel our plans. Let's stay safe and stay healthy. And let's stay at home. Love and strength for my family to yours. Just listening to Mayor Garcetti announcing those record-setting numbers today, staggering numbers, if you will, 8,860 new positive cases today in L.A. County. That's way up from the 7,800 cases yesterday and quickly approaching 10,000. I've just been looking back over my notes from these briefings. I don't recall ever seeing numbers like this. Hospitalizations have more than doubled in two weeks. When we get down to 15% capacity ICU beds, in the Southern California region, these new and tougher restrictions proposed by the governor will take place. Just to give you an idea, that number stands at just over 20% right now. We don't have far to go to get to 15%. And this will affect a lot of things. Areas shut down will include personal care, hair, nails, things like that, family entertainment, zoos, museums, the aquarium, things like that. Those will all shut down. Retail will be reduced to capacity of 20%. Now, the mayor reminded us today we know how to contain COVID. We just have to do it. We need to wear our masks, stay six feet apart, stay home, be smart, don't share your air. And he reminded us testing is key here. There are mobile units as well as other testing sites. Chuck, I think he said more than 100 right yes. now. We have a link on our website uh, that will link you to the uh, city portal, or you can dial 311. And Chuck, the mayor as well also talked about dogs today and how grim that picture is. 
That's right. He uh, talked about the jobs report. And if you recall, beginning of this newscast, we also gave you some of the job report uh, figures that came out this month. It shows really that the economy nationwide has slowed considerably. However, at the same time, the weekly jobs report actually saw a decline, and that's encouraging news. Our uh, NBC4 consumer investigator, Randy Mack, joins us now. Randy, you talk to the economists about the uh, jobs every week. Where, what are we doing at this point? Are we in a recovery? Are we in a recession? Does anyone really know? Colleen, the economists that I talk to say that we are in a recovery that still looks and feels very much like a recession. It is slow, it's painful, and it's likely going to last a lot longer than anyone anticipated, certainly through the winter. Now, unemployment actually has dropped. We are currently nationally at 6.7% for the unemployment rate. That's still double where we were at the start of the pandemic, but it's certainly better than where we were in May when we were at a high of almost 15%. But if you look at the weekly jobless claims that are being filed, the new claims that are being filed with state and the federal governments, we are still losing about a million jobs a week. So wrap your heads around that number, a million jobs a week being lost by citizens all across the United States. That means that pretty much all of us know someone who has lost a job. So for the month of December, it was bad out of November, and in December, it doesn't show much sign of improvement. That's right. I mean, we have been actually improving, again, gradually. We were told that we were averaging about, adding about 500,000 jobs per month for the last few months. For November, we only added 245,000 jobs, um, and that's certainly below half of what we've been averaging of late. Now, a lot of that is due to what Mayor Garcetti was just talking about, the surge in COVID infections and all of the government mandates and restrictions to actually try to contain it. But many economists, again, are predicting that it is going to be a long winter, that there will be a lot more businesses that are going to face uncertainty and possibly wind up having to lay off employees. Even as we hear about vaccines being ready for approval, they just won't be able to hang on financially. And they are especially looking towards the federal government to try to come through with the stimulus package. But even that may not help. Uh, Randy, as evidence of that, we're seeing more and more people taking advantage of the uh, food lines out there, and that really does speak to the problem. Randy, thank you for that. Still to come here, going even lower than 2020 will allow. Someone actually stole a trailer full of toys out there. We'll have details on that coming up. Also, just ahead, battling the bonfire as firefighters work to get the upper hand. We'll hear from an Orange County couple lucky that they escaped just in time. That's their house. Tonight we go along for a simulated exercise of how some of the first COVID vaccinations will be administered, including why recipients will have to stick around after. And we'll hear from the race car driver whose survival from a fiery crash stunned the world on Nightly News.
Dietrich had a minister of Hill City Church. I'm ready for the word. I've been carrying this all week, and I gotta release it to you. It's a prophetic word from the Lord that's gonna shift you in the right direction. I'm telling you, get your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter nine. Start there. Then we'll go to Second Kings chapter one. We'll go there. Then we'll end it off at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. You know that scripture. Uh, while you're getting the scripture, let me say happy birthday to Brother Marlon. God bless you, brother. You, you, you're an old man now. <laughs> God bless you, Brother Marlon. He is uh, the vice president of our armor bearer team. And I thank God for him and all of the men of God that serve here at Hill City Church. And uh, God bless you. Happy birthday to all the November birthdays. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Happy birthday. And may God favor you with many, many more. Quickly, get, let's get into it. Father, let your anointing and your power be released today online, God, as we speak the word that you've given us to speak into the heart, hearts of your people. God, we pour into them, God, your truth today. And we thank you, God, how you're opening up blind eyes, you're healing, you're delivering, you are setting free. God, reach them wherever they are. I'm telling you, I don't care from the East Coast to the West Coast, overseas in Africa, Japan, Brazil, reach them. Speak to the hearts of your people like only you can do. We know there is no distance in prayer. Father, we're not here to impress, but we're here to impact in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Satan, we take authority over you. We bind you, send you back to the deep from whence you come. We come against any spirit of sabotage that will come and try to distort the truth and interrupt this program. But in the name of Jesus, we thank you for clarity. They will hear clearly and understand clearly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Lift your hands, church. Lift your hands. I can feel glory already and I promise you I will not be long turn your Bibles quickly to Mark chapter 9 start at verse 2 it says six days later Jesus took Peter James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone as the men watched Jesus appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them I'm reading from the New Living Translation those of you that's trying to figure out what I'm reading. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus on this high mountain. And Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified that they were able to see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. Verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, first they were on the mountain, but as they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. My God. So God took a few of the fellas, took them up to a high place and revealed and transfigured. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration. God let, him, let them see something that he would reveal to nobody else. 
when they were on their way down, he said, remember what you saw. In other words, hold that dear to your heart, but don't tell anybody the level that I have introduced you to. Quickly, 2 Kings chapter 1. My God, I feel the anointing. Let's go there. It's a real deep story. You're going to love this, right? So the, the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of a hill, hill. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. So let me give you a backstory. So now the prophet Elijah has gone to a high mountain on a hill because the king has sent 50 men to come and go kill him <laughs> because he had prophesied something that the king did not want to hear. Ooh. Why are you going to attack me because I'm giving you the word of the Lord? Why are you attacking the messenger? Come on, somebody. And so now the king is angry, so he sends 50 men to go and deal with Elijah. But as the men were coming, Elijah was sitting on a hill looking down where he could see. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50, he said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Watch this, verse 11. Again, also he sent unto him another captain of 50 with, with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said to come down quickly. The king said for you to come on down off that high mountain. Elijah responded again, answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. <laughs> and the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then again, the king sends 50 more men, right? And the third captain of the 50 went up and came. Watch this time, the leader of the captain came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50, thy servants, be precious in thy sight. In other words, please don't call fire down from heaven on us. And behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, go down with them now and don't be afraid of him. And he rose and went down with him unto the king. A powerful story. You got to read all of that, all of it in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 15. Come on, really quickly, here's a very familiar scripture that you know. 1 Corinthians 15, go to verse 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, unmovable. Come on, somebody. I got a prophetic word for somebody that's in the midst of it right now. You're right there on the cusp of, a, of your greatest victory, on the verge of your greatest victory, God told me to tell you that he's already given you the victory. All you got to do now is hold your ground. Everybody put it on the, the, in the comments. Hold your ground. Let me see it. Hold your ground. Tell your neighbor, God has already given it to you and can't no devil or no demon or witch in hell. Come on, take it away from you. As long as you hold your ground, it is yours. Look at 
put your name, walk the land, run it in the house. Put it on there, put it on there. Tell them it is yours as long as you hold your ground. God has given you the victory and you need to walk like it. You need to talk like it. You need to act like it. It is already yours. God has already made you the champion. You are already the victor. You're not the victim. God said this is your land. This is your season. This is your ground. It belongs to you. Now hold the fort. Don't even entertain the thought of losing because you're already the winner. I feel like having church up in here. I can run. That's what I came to tell you this morning. God told me to tell you to hold your ground. I won't be long. I promise you. But I'm here to inform somebody that may not know. I know those of you there, those of you that have been in, in prayer, your ears are inclined to the voice of God. You know that our nation has been in intense spiritual warfare for quite some time. I would venture to say that in 2008, it began when President Barack Obama was elected uh, the, the 44th president of the United States of America. The enemy don't like the fact that a black man had become the president of these United States because the enemy thought it was going to continue to be the divided states instead of the United States. But it was God's will that after all these years that somebody would come along and break the back of racism, break the back of prejudice in our country. And I'm telling you, in 08, that thing broke. Come on, somebody. Put it up there. Tell them it broke in 08. It broke in 08. Come on. It broke the back of racism. It broke the back of uh, white supremacy in 08. Glory to God. But I'm afraid to tell somebody that it wounded it, but it did not crush it. Ah, it should have been crushed back in 2008. But some kind of way, we let our foot up off the gas and we said, we're relaxed now. Maybe things are changing now. Maybe it's, uh, people want a better America. But we found out something different. Come on, somebody. Now we find ourselves in 2020 here now. We're in 2020 and the warfare, glory to God, that we thought should have been conquered, we thought was over now has intensified in 2020. Come on, somebody. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that it intensified the same year of the election year. Let me explain to you. I don't believe it's a coincidence that uh, COVID-19 was introduced to us this year, which happens to be an election year. Everything is strategic. And I believe right now that we are in the heat of the battle. I said to myself that once we find out who's the new president, maybe I can let up off this and start preaching about something else. But the Lord said, no, Dietrich, you got to put your foot on the prophetic gas. You have to let people know what thus said the Lord. You got to help people see clearly, help them see what you see. And that's what I'm here to do, church. Let's go to it. Ephesians 6 and 12. You know this. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That can also be translated to leadership in high places that have submitted themselves to a wicked spirit. And that is what we're seeing right now in this space, right now in, in, in 2020. We are seeing wickedness in high places in our government, uh, from the White House, watch this, all the way to the church house. 
help me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> False prophets are being revealed like never before. I wouldn't say exposed because they've always, always been there, but now people are now seeing a revealing of the level of, of, of false prophecies and false prophets that have been in our church for quite some time that we have subscribed to because we were not listening and looking with our spiritual eyes. So God allows us in the warfare in 2020 to see and come on, who's who and what's what. Can the church say amen? I told you maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, glory to God, that this election for some reason is on heaven's radar and on hell's radar. Uh, the question is, why Dietrich? Why Pastor Dietrich? I don't have all the answers, but can you consider this? Watch this. Listen to me closely. With every life lost to COVID-19, watch this, could potentially be a soul lost from the kingdom of God. Hear me, church. Every life lost. Right now, we're climbing up to 267 thousand people that have lost their lives, but it could be a potentially a soul loss. If they didn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, if they not, did not repent of their sins, that person could have lost their soul. Glory to God. And I don't know about you, but we are in the soul winning business. God is in the soul winning business. That's what this is all about. That's why Jesus came so that souls can be won into the kingdom. So here it is. God's agenda is to win as many souls as he can. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. Right? Here's the warfare. Satan's agenda is to snatch souls from heaven. Come on. Snatch souls out of the kingdom and take them down to hell. He is a soul snatcher. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. So the enemy knows that his time is short. So now we are in the midst of the, the warfare. God is winning souls and the soul snatcher is trying his best to win souls. So listen, whenever you hear that somebody has died as a result of COVID-19, you got to be praying. Praying that God will have mercy, glory to God, on that soul. My God, I know I'm talking something that somebody may not understand, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Glory to God. Because if we continue down this path that we're on concerning this coronavirus, yes, I am preaching about it. If we continue on this path, not only thousands of lives would be lost, but millions of lives and potential souls could be lost. And that's why, glory to God, I thank God, according to 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, it says, lest Satan should gain an advantage over us if we are, we are not ignorant of his devices. Come on, somebody. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, for my people perish for the lack of knowledge. So here it is. The devil is so mad at us. Woo! I feel like preaching up in here. The devil is so angry at you and I because the eyes of our understanding are open. Come on, somebody. We're not walking around with our eyes wide shut. We are very clear on the issues. We opened our eyes. Come on, in time enough, glory to God, to vote for the right person and get the right person in office because it was the enemy's plot that more lives 
loss to this COVID-19. Not just to COVID-19, but to the devil's plot. Come on, somebody. Lift your hands. I declare, I thank God that we voted somebody that will shift this this country in another direction. Somebody with some wisdom and understanding to lead this nation in dark times. Help me, Holy Ghost. It's amazing how wisdom alone can save lives. The Almighty quiet on there. We write it down. Wisdom alone. It's save lives. Prayer can save lives. Come on, somebody. But I'm telling you, wisdom and understanding and experience can also save lives. Come on, somebody. I know y'all mad at me. I know we still got some Trump supporters, and this is no attack against Trump. But I'm telling you, it is not correct for any leader to stand up and tell people that it's okay to inject bleach into your body in order to get rid of the virus. That is, come on, irresponsible. That is disrespectful. And it costs somebody their life. Help me up in here, Jesus. I looked up the data and it says that the bleach cases reported in the U.S. increased 121% after that statement. So as a leader, you cannot be reckless when you stand up to speak before any people. Come on, whether it be your church, whether it be in your house, whether it be in the government, you must be sound before you speak anything because you have influence. And to whom much is given, much is required. So I believe with all of my heart, mind, and soul. I know you're not going to like this. I believe that God made 80 million people come on, wake up and see and vote because America was in desperate need right now of sound leadership because we're living in dark times. I'm here to close in a minute, but come on, rock in with me. We're living in evil times, church. We're living in demented times. Glory to God. Where people don't care about people's lives. They care more about money and the economy than people's lives. And whenever you see evil and darkness on this kind of level, that means, watch this, there's good news coming. Whenever you see demonic news and darkness to the left, darkness to the right, darkness in government, Darkness from the White House to the church out. Darkness from the pulpit. Darkness coming from whenever you're surrounded by darkness. Look up, glory to God. How shut up, my Look up because arise, shine, for the light is coming. God is getting ready to birth something so powerful. Ah, glory to God. He's getting ready to birth something so powerful that's going to put a monkey wrench in the devil's plots and plans. Come on. That's going to interrupt the enemy's plans that he had set against God's people. God is birthing something that's going to intercede and interrupt every diabolical scheme of the enemy. Watch this, light is always birthed out of darkness. The Bible says darkness was on the face of the deep and God spoke, let there be light. Whenever there is darkness, expect the light to come. Come on, somebody. Where is the light being birthed? It's being birthed in you. Ah, oh, there's a fire being birthed in you. I can see the torch being lit in you. Come
Come on, somebody. Tell somebody, I'm lit. My light is burning. My light is shining. In the midst of this darkness, there is something stirring up on the inside of me that I cannot contain. I got to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. There is an idea being birthed in my spirit. Glory to God. There is anointing. There was a fresh anointing being stirred up on the inside of me that I cannot explain. There's something on the inside that's working. That's going to show up on the outside. I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. What are you talking about, Pastor Dietrich? I know exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever there is darkness, God is giving birth to something new. God is giving birth to something fresh. Amen. You remember when Moses was born, the devil stirred up in the Pharaoh and said, kill everybody. Kill all the firstborn male children. I got to stop this Messiah or this Moses from coming to deliver the people. Glory to God. So even though there is chaos everywhere, there's something being pushed out somewhere. There's something great being produced in the midst of darkness. Come on, somebody. Remember when that demon got up and stirred up in Herod. He said, I got to stop Jesus from being born. Go, go kill everybody. Let darkness, let there be tears. Let the people, let there be wailing and crying. I got to stop this Jesus from coming. Oh, my God. That's what the enemy is saying right now. Uh, there's a lot of crying and grieving in our nation right now. Uh, there's crying from the north, south, east, and west. I can hear the cries of God's people. Uh, but I'm telling you, in the midst of the cry, uh, there is another sound uh, of joy in the midst of sorrow. I, I feel the Holy Ghost. I need an organist. I need somebody. There's something is being birthed in you. You that are watching me right now. I'm talking to you. Uh, something is being pushed out of you. Uh, there's a reason why God has had you isolated. There's a reason why God has had you set apart because what God is birthing in you uh, cannot be contaminated uh, by the world system and by the religious system and by church folk. Come on, somebody. That's why God got you somewhere uh, where he can minister to you. Come on, uh, as your midwife to push, tell you to push, uh, to get that thing up out of you that God uh, is birthing on the inside of you. Uh, what God is birthing in you, my sister and my brother, uh, is going to change the game. Uh, oh, Holy Ghost, help me up in here. Uh, God is birthing mountain movers. Uh, hallelujah. Wait a minute. Not just mountain movers. God is birthing mountain what are you talking about, Pastor Dietrich? I'm telling you, now I know we like to talk about the faith that moves mountains, but what about the faith that owns mountains? I just said something deep and dropped right there. Come on, get it. God said you're going to have the faith that will cause you to own a mountain. Why should I want a mountain to be moved when I can claim it and own it for myself? saying nothing. I, I don't want a mountain move that belonged to me. I, I want to stand on top of that mountain on a high place. Somebody shot glory up in here. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Here's a prophetic word since I'm all up in there. God says I'm sending you forth. What I'm doing
time in you is going to cause you to conquer all seven mountains of influence. Yes, God has called you to conquer the mountain of religion, to take authority of the mountain of family. Come on, somebody. To take authority over the mountain of education and government and media and arts and entertainment and business. God says, yes, I'm sending you forth. Like Joseph, you're going to go from the pit all the way to the top, to the palace. God said, get ready. Somebody get up and start dancing in your house. God told me to tell you today, I didn't know I was going to stir up like this, but God told me to tell you to get ready. I'm sending you forth. You're on the launching pad. It's going to launch you around the world. And you're not going to go halfway. God said you're going to the top. I see number one. I see it in the Holy Ghost. Number one bestseller. Number one in your business. Number one in education. Number one in your academics. Number one in everything you set your hands to do. Why? Because you have a heart for people. When you get to that place where God called you to be, you're going to make sure everybody eat. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. It just won't be about you, but it's going to be about your family and those that are called to come on, the kingdom of God. God is strategically setting you there so that you can be a blessing to people in the midst of a pandemic. Oh! I feel the Holy Ghost. Let that just simmer right there. What God is going to do it's not just for you. Uh, don't you get it twisted. Uh, what God is going to do in you uh, is for nations. God has a generational anointing, a generational anointing on you. Uh, it's an international anointing on you. Uh, don't look at your immediate surroundings and say, how is going to happen? I declare and decree and remember I told you. Uh, mark it down. Everybody write it down. Uh, today was the day that Pastor Dietrich prophesied to me and told me uh, that God was going to take me from the bottom uh, to the top. God was going to take me from zero to a hundred real quick. Uh, God's going to do it like it's overnight. Uh, but you know it hasn't been overnight. Uh, you know the test and trials that you've endured. Uh, you remember the many nights you almost gave up. Uh, but I thank God you stuck in there. Uh, you held your ground. Uh, and that's what God told me to tell you today. somebody that's watching me that you must plant your feet and stand your ground. You should not be moved because heaven has, come on, uh, heaven has validated you, heaven has certified you, and you have the right, glory to God, uh, to stand your ground just like you have the right to get in that line uh, and vote even when demons didn't want you to vote uh, in the season that you're in. Uh, you stand your ground and know it was God uh, that has brought you to this place. It is God. Uh, hallelujah. Go to the high ground. Uh, that's what I want to tell you. Uh, that once you're on the high ground, uh, all you have to do is be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, 
it's time to hold your ground like Elijah. The Bible says that Elijah hung out on the mountain. He likes sitting on the high place. Why? Because you're seated in heavenly places for too long. They told you that you can't be here. You wasn't good enough or this room is not good enough or this, this position is not good enough. The devil is alive. God said it's yours. And you walk in with authority. You walk in with confidence. I don't care what you got to do. Get yourself together and get ready to walk in that room and tell them that you come in the name of the Lord. Be up in here, church. Elijah liked to be in the high ground because you know in warfare, the one that has the high ground has the advantage because you can see, come on somebody, you can see the move that the enemy is about to make before he makes it. So that's why you must maintain the high ground. God told me to tell you that the fight that you're in is already a fixed fight. And all the enemy has left is lies. Come on, somebody. Uh, conspiracy theories and false claims. Uh, all the enemy have left. Come on, the fight against you is intimidation, uh, aggravation, deception, and harassment. Come on, somebody. The spirit of harassment has been released throughout the land. Uh, and his agenda is to frustrate you so much uh, that you decide to put your stuff down and go down from the mountain to handle that devil. Come on. Come on, somebody. That's why the enemy's been trying to say all manner of evil, all kinds of things uh, to get you to come down and get in your flesh uh, because you know the enemy can catch these hands. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. Uh, the devil can catch these hands up in here. Uh, but that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to deal with him in your flesh uh, because in your flesh you will not win. Uh, but thank God that the weapons of our warfare uh, are not
from the racetrack, our exclusive with the driver, what went through his mind as he escaped alive, and deck the halls 2020 style. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening, everyone. The CDC is expanding its mask-wearing recommendations to virtually everywhere outside the home tonight in an urgent effort to slow the skyrocketing number of COVID infections, hospitalizations, and deaths all eclipsing ghastly records on a daily basis. Right now, health officials are focused on counting the days since Thanksgiving travel, timing what they expect to be a new wave of illness that could push hospitals over the edge. Miguel Almaguer has late details. Tonight, millions in the San Francisco Bay Area ordered back into lockdown, told to stay home except for critical services and outdoor recreation. New restrictions as the country plunges deeper into crisis. The U.S. once again setting new single-day records for the number of Americans who lost their lives, became infected, and are hospitalized with COVID. The numbers in and of themselves are alarming, and then you realize that it is likely we'll see more of a surge as we get two to three weeks past the Thanksgiving holiday. And the thing that concerns me is that it busts right on the Christmas holiday as people start to travel and shop and congregate. Illinois, Texas, and Pennsylvania now reporting the three highest death tolls this week. President-elect Biden says he'll ask the public to wear a mask for 100 days to slow the spread. But Dr. Fauci warns masks may be needed longer. Now, it might be that after that we still are going to need it, but he just wants it, everybody, for a commitment for 100 days. In New Jersey, the governor called Florida Congressman Matt Gates a puss and a fool for ignoring social distancing guidelines and mask mandates at a recent fundraiser. Back in California, L.A. County alone reported more cases in a single day this week than 44 states. Hospitals are filling fast. With COVID claiming 278,000 lives in the U.S., long-term care facilities account for 40% of deaths. At this New Hampshire home, Martin Oppenheimer is among at least 15 residents to lose his wife. I was married to him for 66 and a half years. I wasn't there. At the end, I couldn't hold him. I couldn't say goodbye. Tonight, for far too many families, the holidays will be filled with heartbreak. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. I'm Megan Fitzgerald in Arizona for a first look at how one major medical center is preparing to administer the vaccine. Our hope is that this is the beginning of the end of COVID. Dr. Tiffany Tantow is one of Honor Health's 15,000 medical workers in the first round of distribution. It's a chance for us to be able to vaccinate and protect our, first of all, our healthcare um, workers and our first responders. Dozens of volunteers in Phoenix today taking part in a practice drill in this parking lot. This is where it starts. Cars will start here. They'll advance on to registration where volunteers will confirm their identity and make sure that they have an appointment. Um, your date of birth. This is where the vaccinations will take place. The cars will pull up, the windows will go down, and they'll get a shot in the arm just like they would at their doctor's office. You're ready? It's just going to be a little pinch. Engineers working on traffic patterns and timing down to the second. Officials here say they're prepared to administer a thousand doses a day as soon as the vaccine is approved, which could be as early as mid-December. After being vaccinated, they'll pull up here and be observed for 15 minutes to make sure they don't have any side effects. If they have a reaction, they're told to honk their horn. 
teams today simulating how they'd respond to those types of medical emergencies. We're just going to stand here and talk to you and try okay. to continue to keep an eye on you if okay. you don't mind. Getting one step closer to changing the course of the virus. Megan Fitzgerald, NBC News, Phoenix. All right, let's talk about your financial health now. President-elect Biden calling the future very bleak and warning of a very dark winter if Congress doesn't pass more pandemic relief for tens of millions of Americans. And what he just said about the Trump administration's vaccine strategy. Here's NBC's Jeff Bennett. Tonight, President-elect Joe Biden urging Congress to quickly pass hundreds of billions of dollars in pandemic relief before what he calls a very dark winter. If we don't act now, the future will be very bleak. Americans need help, and they need it now. It comes with a new jobs report showing the economic recovery stalling, with a pandemic surging. 245,000 jobs were added last month, down from 610,000 in October. The unemployment rate dipping to 6.7%. Overall, the economy's now recovered 12 million of the 22 million jobs lost in the initial economic shutdown. And as the Biden transition team plots its COVID vaccine distribution strategy, the president-elect says there are gaps in the Trump administration's approach. There is no detailed plan, as we've seen anyway, as to how you get the vaccine out of a container into an injection syringe into somebody's arm. And it's going to be very difficult for that to be done in this very expensive proposition. And with blacks and Latinos dying from COVID at disproportionately higher rates, Biden stressed distributing vaccines equitably. Lester? All right, Jeff Bennett, thank you. Let's turn out of those critical races we've been following in Georgia. Control the U.S. Senate hinging on what happens in two runoff elections there next month. President Trump holding a rally there tomorrow. Other heavy hitters there today. Howie Jackson has more. Star power lighting up polling rallies in Georgia today. Vice President Mike Pence in person. Republican Senate majority could be the last line of defense. Former President Barack Obama online. This is not just about uh, Georgia. This is about America. That's because the close Senate runoff pit Republican incumbents David Perdue and Kelly Leffler against Democrats John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. If either Republican wins, the GOP keeps its Senate majority. If both Democrats do, it's that party that gains control. I'm hoping that everybody understands the urgency. Tomorrow, President Trump visits the state, which Joe Biden flipped in November, with questions about whether the president's false claims of election fraud could depress turnout. One controversial attorney, a Trump supporter, now suggesting conservatives boycott. Why would you go back and vote in another rigged election for God's sake? Purdue pushing back. This is illogical for any Republican to think that, oh, I'm just going to sit down and not vote. NBC's Blaine Alexander with a top Georgia Republican. Is the president's trip to Georgia going to be helpful or hurtful for Republicans? At this point, who the heck knows? The president's rally will be in a more rural part of the state where the GOP needs to boost turnout to win. Lester? Hallie Jackson, thanks. In Southern California, millions are under red flag warnings tonight. A forecast for more high winds keeping fire danger high as firefighters try to contain a blaze that forced tens of thousands to evacuate. Our Steve Patterson is there. Blasted by surging winds, gusts up to 75 miles an hour, and a landscape of bone-dry fuel, Southern California is on fire, choosing thousands of acres, forcing residents to raise columns of flames, raining down a hail of embers. I saw these flames come out from behind the ridge, 
and they must have been like 50, 100 feet tall. The fire started at a home and then spread, forcing more than 25,000 to evacuate, injuring two firefighters. I'm alive. Jean Page barely escaped as the flames ripped into her yard, nearly torching her hillside home. I was terrified. I cried all last night. I was, I was, but you're never going to get that. As the fire spread, wind grounded critical air support. It's the latest in a brutal year of historic California wildfires. More than 4 million acres scorched so far. We have thin air conditions and high rain conditions that are promoting really big, fast-spreading fire events. Tonight, nearly 11 million over red flag warning, with the threat expected into the weekend. The latest leg of an out year-round fire season, keeping residents locked in unending worry. Steve Patterson, NBC News, Orange County, California. On the other side of the country, in the northeast, millions are bracing for a powerful nor'easter tonight and tomorrow. Strong winds and heavy rain expected on the coast. Up to 10 inches of snow in New England, with tree damage and power outages expected. New York and Massachusetts are deploying emergency assets and issuing travel warnings. A historic development today as the country grows more accepting of marijuana. The House voting to decriminalize pot and clear people convicted of marijuana offenses. Let's get more on this from Tom Costello. While one in three Americans now lives in a state with legalized marijuana, pot is still illegal under federal law. Today, the Democrat-controlled House voted to decriminalize it. The bill is passed. And expunge criminal records for marijuana offenses. With Arizona, New Jersey, Montana, and South Dakota voting to legalize marijuana, 15 states plus D.C. now allow recreational pot. 34 more states allow it for medical use. Yet 40,000 Americans are still in prison on marijuana offenses. The ACLU says black Americans are nearly four times more likely to be arrested. Avalon LaChapelle spent five years behind bars, separated from her four-year-old daughter. I was certainly a victim of an unjust system, um, a, a system that has a systematically attacked uh, black and brown people specifically for cannabis. Still, Senate Majority Leader McConnell says the House bill won't even get a vote in the Senate. The House of Representatives is saying this week on pressing issues like marijuana. Marijuana. Despite growing acceptance, still plenty of official opposition. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. As schools try to stay open during the pandemic, testing is playing an increasingly important role, including a test that is easy to take right in school. NBC's Villa Marks has more on this. Tonight, the push to keep kids in classrooms could be getting a big boost, with COVID saliva tests now available in a growing number of schools. Each week, as part of a government trial, thousands of kids in Britain fill small plastic tubes in seconds, with reliable lab results returned hours later. And American students are trying it too. Principal Molly King introduced her Connecticut school to the idea in September. We wanted to reassure our community that we were doing everything that we could to mitigate uh, risk. Nearby Yale scientists tell us saliva tests are accurate and easy. When you read up at the low end of the detection, saliva testing definitely right up there with the swab based method. While experts say schools are not a major transmission point for COVID, more testing is seen as critical. So labs in 25 states are now working to increase saliva capacity and reduce costs. 
aggressive routine testing is the only way that we will be able to reopen this country safely. And if an entire classroom is tested at once, the costs drop significantly, with the weekly individual price tag then as low as $15. Lester? All right, Bill and Mark tonight, thank you. Want to turn now to our series, America Under Pressure. Tonight we speak to healthcare workers on the front lines of this crisis. They are heroic, but their work and the prospect of tougher days ahead is taking a toll. Here's Stephanie Guy. You know, you get the best chance possible for recovery. For months, they have fought to keep the country healthy. Perhaps now it's time the country fights for them. Speaking for all of us, we're tired. But we get up and we still do this every day. In a study released this week, half of the medical professionals surveyed suffered some form of emotional distress. 40% said it was serious. When I go home, I don't get to hug my kids. I don't run to the door anymore. Because we don't give hugs when I get home. They hug at the first thing I do as I shower. And then I just spend half an hour with them and I come back and I do it again. Doctors and nurses struggling with staff shortages and fears of getting the virus, on top of far more suffering and death. We're nine months into this pandemic. They're frustrated. Um, they're starting to get angry. And the most difficult months of the pandemic lie ahead. When our caregivers are burned out, um, they really can't be their true self or their best self when they come to work. When that alarm goes off and you have to get out of bed in the morning, what runs through your head? Uh, you know, it's... Orlando Gardner is an ICU physician and a father. He says he doesn't have time to worry about his own well-being. If I don't continue to swim, I'll, I'll just drown in the ocean, and I have uh, too many people depending on me. If I stop, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to take them out down all with me. Gardner had COVID himself, and then his wife and small children got the virus. Mm -hmm. They are all okay. But he hasn't recovered from the fear. I have these dreams, you know, where my, where my children have died. And it's, um, you know, I really don't know what happened. Or all I know is that they, they, they died. And I feel this immense grief and guilt when I wake up. The dreams linger. The fatigue is endless. And every day, new patients keep coming through the doors. Stephanie Goss, NBC News, New York. In just 60 seconds, our exclusive interview with the Formula One driver who walked away after that fiery crash. Thank you.
Dietrich Eden, pastor of Hill City Church in Los Angeles, California.